Hi. I'm Madonna. Unfortunately, Lee Sales and Annabelle Crabb couldn't be with us tonight. So you've got me, 1990 Madonna. And you've also got me, 1983 Madonna. So just to remind everybody, it's a uh, surprise tonight for the other party. So this is... <laughs> so in case anyone hasn't tweaked... <laughs> I was the organiser of tonight's show. And so Crab was sent to Gwen's house this afternoon to get made up. And what I'd like to know is, when did you tweak that you were being made up as Madonna? Well, Lee, first of all, obviously, a huge thank you. Uh, but I've got to say that over the last two years that this show has been planned and cancelled and de deferred and then replanned, a lot of the all-too-evident excitement that you manifested uh, and the whole proposal of this idea that, like, there'll be one secret show that Lee play, plans for me and one secret show that I plan for you. Um, I've detected a lot of, wait till I see what I'm going to have to wear. And then a couple of days ago, you're like, so... You know those pants you've got that are a bit fluffy at the top and then a bit, like, tighter at the bottom? Those. You've got to wear those. And then just a plain singlet, like a black singlet, because I've got a jacket for you. So I arrived at Gwen's and the makeup started to go on and there were brushes going in places that they don't normally go. There was contouring. There was strobing. And then I'm looking at the jacket going, what, is this, like, Dad's army? Is it, like... Is it mash? Like, am I? And I've, I've am texted I her and I've gone. Hulahan? I've texted her. I've gone. Have you tweaked? And I'm like, no. I'm like, am I? God, I don't know. Am I Cindy Lauper? Am I? Am I Monica Lewinsky? I don't know because there was <laughs> there was a lot of teasing going on in the hair, and then the scarf went in the hair. I'm like, wait. Am I brunette Madonna? <laughs> and then when the 28th necklace went on, my suspicion really began to solidify. Well, can I, I want, there's a few people I want to give a shout out to. One is Belinda Weber, who did your makeup, who's in the room tonight. So, excellent shout job. Shout out to Belinda. The other. Belinda, who could not stop giggling. Like, she was like, <laughs> looking at my face, which is unavoidable when you are a makeup artist. And she was just like. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Blake, who put together that video. What the hell? I mean, to make it look like to, so seamless, I, it was just blew my mind when I saw how he was able to do that. And I want to also give a shout out to somebody who might be familiar with anyone who follows me on Instagram, and I'd like him to come out on stage tonight. It's my makeup artist, Christopher Sal. Yeah! <laughs> also, let's not mince 
This man is the author of the wardrobe spreadsheet as well. <laughs> the Lee Sales wardrobe spreadsheet is the work of this man. Uh, I think now we had respect some, must be paid. We had some real fun doing that, didn't we? We sure did, and he nailed it. That was awesome. <laughs> now, He's so been encouraged to say that, but Chris is just like, call the police. <laughs> now, Chris and I think that you should be very grateful, actually, that we did you as desperately seeking Susan Madonna because we had options. You should be, Annabelle. The other option was it involved conical bra, ice cream cones and spray paint. So (laughs) (laughs) So just for that one. (laughs) You've come out of it lightly. But Steve, it was, Chris had some hard work because can I tell you, it is quite hard to pretend to be sexy. It's really difficult. And Chris had to give me quite a bit of coaching. There were prompts like waking up, stretching, <laughs> yawning. Uh, what were the other? I can't re- I can't. It was like itchy bum. Itchy. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot... I forgot one of our favourite moves is the why me officer? Why me officer? <laughs> Can you do a why me officer? Why me officer? <laughs> <laughs> um, before I let you depart the stage, um, I have made some extraordinary demands on Chris this week. And before you go, I just want to show everyone the brief that Chris has had from me in the past five and a half days. Spreadsheet. Let's, have a, spreadsheet. let's have a look. <laughs> That's what Chris has had to do. <laughs> uh, now, what we can I just before you let him go? I think you've got four episodes of Seven Thirty left. I do. So the question is, from the spreadsheet, what are we ever going to see Mum's third wedding again? Uh, or? No, not no. no. I think that's been packed away. We'll never see that again. That got retired after election night. Okay, so regional Italian airline? That may be. That's one of my favourites. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't remember now off the top of my head what's on the final week, but we did put our favourites on. We did. All four favourites. Yeah. So with this week that you've had, what, what's been the biggest challenge for you in having to execute this? Um, <laughs> I, I think doing the right look on the right day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to send you off to interview the governor of the Reserve Bank like that. <laughs> there's, there's so much trust involved. I mean, she doesn't even look at herself when she gets out of the chair. I could have sent her off like that. <laughs> imagine, imagine that. Philip Lowe, let's start with the wage price spiral. <laughs> itchy bum, itchy bum, itchy bum. Chris, thank you. You're a genius. Love you. Let the record show that this man also went on tour with me and my newborn baby, who's now nine. Oh, Chris did that, did he? Yeah, on a series of kitchen cabinet when um, that baby was about 12 weeks old and would not be put down. Like one of those babies that's lovely and she's grown up to be a perfectly nice kid, but would not be put down and would not sleep anywhere except on me and so we thought that was a great attribute to combine with uh, filming eight episodes of a television show around regional Australia. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah and so Chris was there for that. My god I can't believe he's still involved. (laughs) 
Oh, he was heavily involved. You can imagine his, I mean, he was the one who said, if we do the cone bra, look, ice cream cones, I could spray paint them gold. That was, he was, you know, he was heavily driving that. Well, I that. consider that as a personal betrayal. <laughs> Now, um, as I mentioned, the content of the show is a surprise. Yeah, I'm surprised. Also, um, how are we both dressed as Madonna and how does that <laughs> pursue any kind of rational purpose apart Surely, from just getting you to do itchy bum on a camera? That like, was it. Surely the, the only surprise for you it would be like after... Because for anyone that was here last time, we did Queen and I was Freddie Mercury in drag and Crab was Brian May with just the best Brian May hair ever. One of the greatest days of my life. Turns out I'm built for it. Um, so, I mean, surely the only surprise was what rock star you were going to be dressed as. Sure. And as it began to take shape, I was intrigued about that. But, like, actually, the thing is, I'm finding it incredibly liberating to just not be responsible for anything, you know, because, <laughs> honestly, in an average day, my whole brain is packed with what am I going to bugger up today? And I know that whatever goes wrong tonight is on you. <laughs> I'm loving it. So I guess the other thing that wouldn't be very surprising, of course, would be that I'd try to work some music into the... Really? Because I had not noticed that <laughs> forest of infrastructure right there. Uh, what I really hope is that you're going to play or <laughs> interact with all of it. The rest of the evening will be me in a solo performance of... Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. <laughs> Do you know, I would actually go for that. I actually listened to Tubular Bells when I was writing that book about Malcolm Turnbull. That's oh, the only thing I could God. listen to. I'm going to come and sit here for a bit because I feel sorry for you two who are being blocked by this, you know, fold-back <laughs> mechanism. I'm going to sit here for a bit. Hi. <laughs> Tell me if this is visually awkward for anyone. For, any, for, for the Send your complaints to 1980s Madonna. And for the people there that can't see, when this uh, act finishes, this will be moved back a bit, so you'll when have a... When this act finishes... You'll have a bird's eye view of my boobs. What you are seeing tonight, and they are spectacular, <laughs> let me say. Uh, Sales was uh, asked by one of her children, Mum, are they real? <laughs> I mean, that's one of the people in the world that's had the closest uh, interaction with the organs in question. Uh, are they an organ? Wow. Secondary sexual characteristics, let's call them. Anyway, moving on. This is highly inappropriate already. Um, but what I do want you to observe, as I'm observing already, and keep in mind, friends, I have no idea what any of this means or what's about to happen, but it's very clear that this woman's uh, innate megalomania is now out of control. <laughs> now, so, as I said, not that surprising that you'd have music. As you would be aware, of recent times on the podcast, I've spoken quite a lot about the Australian Chamber Orchestra um, because it was the first thing that I went to after lockdown in 2020 and it was really a very affecting um, experience as I'm sure everyone understands when you go to something live for the first time. In fact, this is our first live show in Sydney since 2019, I think, which is fantastic. So thank you for coming. Um, it's so wonderful to be back in front of a live audience. And then I recently, on a recent episode of the podcast, spoke about going to see the ACO with the accordionist James Crabb, who, like, I have thought about that show so much because it was just so wonderful and just so much love for music um, in the room. And then if you heard... Uh, that same podcast I talked about taking my children to the ACO Open Day and attempting to indoctrinate them into learning a stringed instrument. And I would like to, support, like to report that success 
A cello arrived yesterday for the little one who said he was quite taken by the cello. Yes. My favourite instrument. So knowing, and he knows it's mum's favourite instrument. So, you know, I don't think there'll be any therapy involved around that at all (laughs) in the future. Um, So it's my absolutely incredible um, pleasure to be able to tell you that with us tonight is the artistic director of the ACO, Richard Tognetti, and some of his colleagues. Richard, come on out. Yes. I, Richard, before we invite the others out... Oh, I the mean, others? Okay. I, so sorry, is the entire game here. I just, I feel like the mere fact of your presence implies that you weren't given a proper brief about this. No. Well, I mean, also, inviting a classical violinist to a comedy show is a bit like inviting an undertaker to God knows what, right? <laughs> Well, this is but not really a comedy show. We're know. just funny for journalists. We're not actually you are, funny. You're, the, the two of you are officially insane in the best possible way. Your face when I walked out this afternoon when you were rehearsing and I came up to say hi and I was already done like this, I think it was like this. <laughs> I was just wondering where Lee Sales was. But thank, thank God I didn't just accept this gig on my own and I brought the cult with me. Woohoo! Now, is there anything you want to tell us before you play? Um, yeah, we have a, a little surprise for her later on. <laughs> uh, Can't say too much. So, um, I've got some colleagues from the Australian Chamber Orchestra and beyond, Satu Vanska, who's going to sing a song. But first of all, we're going to play... I thought, what could I choose to depict these two incredible ladies talking? And so we're playing a little piece by Niccolo Paganini, the virtuoso violinist... <laughs> And it's arranged for two violins, and it's really fast, and we kind of talk over each other the whole time. And, 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 it, and I, I, it's called Caprice Number no. 5, but I, I've, I've renamed it Prattle at Speed. <laughs> and then we're going to play a song, an original song called Wollongong 1974. Wollongong 1974, and Sadhu's going to sing. And then we're going to um, finish um, with a a song um, inspired by another crazy person in the best possible way, Heston Blumenthal. It's a proto-punk song, ladies and gentlemen, called Heston. (laughs) And then you'll come back and talk to us on the couch? Okay. All right, thank you. Please welcome Richard and colleagues. Thank you. 
nothing like us at all.
Wow. Um, I have one question. Is there anything that Satu is not good at? Because I'm yet to see anything. Well, even though she's um, Finnish, she's not the best skier. <laughs> well, that is a serious chink in her armour. I mean, uh, I'm not surprised to see you're just the classically predictable, you know, Scandy punk stuff that the ACO has been trundling out for <laughs> decades. I just like, you... when are you people going to think of something new? Well, I'd say sitting on a couch with two weirdos dressed as Madonna in the Enmore Theatre is that's out. There. It is groundbreaking territory for the ACO. I do agree. Um, I... And that was a cheap but, I think, filling shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, it's funny, I was thinking actually of exactly that but in a serious way, which is, so I first interviewed you in 1996. I love that. I was, the... I was thinking exactly that but in a serious way, you know, like in a sort of like a, an actually interesting way as opposed see, to your throwaway remark. It, it is just like the piece we played, isn't it? It is exactly <laughs> like that, Richard. You, you, that was an inspired choice. It was, we were laughing because it was like, oh, that is exactly like well, us. Can I, before you ask me a serious question, I have to say that when I first started listening to your podcast, I thought I had it on twice the speech. You're and not I the thought, first person I kept, to say I was, that. I was driving along and I thought, this is dangerous. And, I, I was, and then I kept on thinking... <laughs> yeah, we, we have heard that before. Um, now, so I first interviewed you in 1996. And the thing that absolutely amazes me about the ACO is that You've always managed to keep it kind of fresh and with a feeling of energy, which is truly amazing given how long you've been doing that. And I'm wondering, is there some secret to keeping that kind of enthusiasm and innovation going all the time? Like, as I mentioned, I saw you with James Crabb recently, and what, part of the reason that really stuck with me was just the level of enthusiasm and passion that was vis totally visible and palpable, you know, on the stage. It's amazing. It's a classic hard-hitting question. It's like, tell me, sir, are you a saint or a genius? I demand to know. <laughs> Answers. Answers now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let you finish. Take, I'm, Richard, I'm take not, my question. I'm not stuck for words. I'm just wondering if I should say this, but what the hell. I, I, I'm going to pay you two months' salary, SBS salary, if, if her last show on 7.30 report is A, dress like back, that, and B, you haven't... Uh, Bring her on. Her well, on I side. think there'd be a lot of support for both of those <laughs> things. I mean, so, it was like, you know, Conan O'Brien, when he wound up after he got the sack for, what's his name, Jay Leno, he had like a, a yeah. week or so of shows left and he just spent the network's money on air. Like, he like burned a Lamborghini, played like a minute and a half of Hey Jude. Like, it was incredible. Like, it was just, you know, imagine, it was imagine so good. my final show, I came on like this and I went, um, good evening, welcome to the program. For my final program, please welcome the musicians of the ACO. <laughs> well, look, and if we had to play It'd be music, awesome. Okay, it would be, you're talking about the James Crabb relative. Um, so, the um, accordionist... And he plays the music by Astor Piazzolla, the great tango composer. And it's such alluring music, mm. isn't it? And, um, and it's music that is best enjoyed live, of course. Right. And so, uh, you know, so reinvention is what it's all about. And so I started writing music that was used in some films. And, um, and, um, and I wanted to use some vocal elements and... 
one day I, I was sitting there with a microphone and um, I'm not going to do an impersonation now of my own self. Oh, come on. You'll, I think no, everybody is now expecting you'll, it. You'll, you'll leave. You'll leave. <laughs> anyway, I, I was singing and it wasn't nice, but I, I just wanted to get an idea of a melodic line and Satu walked past. She's also my wife. And she, she, she walked past and went, yuck. <laughs> and I said, oh, well... And I didn't even know she was a, such a good singer. And I said, well, you do it. And she went, okay. And then she sang it. And I went, oh, there's something here. And then I started writing songs for her. Right. So this has been keeping uh, me very busy. Right. And, um, and so it is about reinvention, just finding new repertoire, new ways of doing things. As Michael Lunig, the great cartoonist, said, you can make great art with mud and a stick. And it's true. You don't need, you know... You don't need to have... Well, somebody also said wisely that you... How many... Asked, how many great books are written in large rooms? And normally they are in, written in small rooms. And we have a small orchestra, the Australian Chamber Orchestra, but everyone is on the same page and committed to the same things. And so we're a highly experimental little group. Do you argue in fiddles? Because like, halfway we, through that I was we thinking, argue? well, this sounds like the most fantastic, intricate argument, you know, and um, I wonder if you ever just duke it out on the strings. Richard when... and Satu? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, look, they're debates. I mean, arguments are, are only negative if they're without resolve. And so long as they lead to something, and otherwise, why not just call it a debate, then we're debating all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you still have to, at your level, practice every single day? Sorry, I know that's a really basic question. She's asking for her kid who's just going to chill Like, can you ever... Kids, kids but, like, oh, okay. that guy seems no, fine, ever, I don't see him doing any can practice. You, can you ever get to such a level where you no. can kind of rest on your laurels at all? Look, I don't want to put any aspiring violinists off or cellists, <laughs> yes. but... Unfortunately, it's like dancers, you know, especially ballet dancers who I would argue have it the, the best and, and the worst because, you know, they're dealing with their, their bodies and they're in tatters by the end of their careers, but they're always working. And so we, as string players, oh, look, all musicians, but especially string players, because we have these micro-muscular movements that we've got to attend to and consider all the time. And certain things don't get easier. You know, you've, you've got to keep limber. And so, yeah, we're practising all the time. And, and beginner violinists should practise as well. You know, and, and I, I was thinking, I was listening to your... Another crazy podcast when you pay... Did you... By the way, did you get free tickets when you went to Maverick? Oh, she did. I paid for them. Uh, she anyway. paid. She, she was a I freebie. I swanned in there. I, I paid for popcorn, but I also and, ate most of it, so and, it seemed and, uh, quite a fair I, deal. I don't know if you all heard the podcast, but of course it was a terrific podcast. I mean, I had to put it on half speed in order to understand <laughs> it. But... Um, Could have, can play a violin I, I, with I like think you 2,000 strokes a second. I think you said you had an epiphanic moment uh, that you thought that maybe, you know, you, you, you felt like you could fly these fighter jets just because you'd been sitting there eating popcorn watching it. And then I'm you also said, confident and I, I get the feeling after watching Borgen after five Chardonnays that I could speak Danish. Well, so... Lee and I were oh, wondering no, no, if... No, 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 no. Look, look, come no, on. No, 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 come no. Come on, here we go. <laughs> we were wondering if... And we've got this beautiful... This isn't your, like, $17 million that's one, is that, it? Because... Yeah. <laughs> is this the, like... 
This isn't five hundred year old we one were that's worth a no, squillion no, no, dollars. Yeah, Don't let me yeah. near Don't it. Sit down in front no. of God. So we were wondering if, <laughs> and and it reminds me of a joke of a now deceased friend of mine who had a terrific sense of humour, and his name was Wire, and he lived in King Island, and he went in for his quadruple or couldn't, maybe he was up to five bypass, and he said to the doctor. The, the surgeon, will I be able to play the viola after this operation? And the doctor said, yeah, why not? And he said, fantastic. <laughs> so... <laughs> this thing can, feels can like she, a bird can in she my have hands. A bow? Yes. Do you want me to hold your mic for you? I don't know. I feel uh, a bit paralysed. I think we'll hold the mic. Thank you for your I, fairness in asking me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hold the mic. <laughs> No, talk, no, no more talking. It's, it's Annabelle's <laughs> audition so, for the ACA. Yes, that's right. It goes in the left hand, violin in the left hand. <laughs> Have you had any music lessons on any Looking good. Okay. No, she hasn't. <laughs> have, a, have a look. That's the Top right. Gun slash Borgen test. Let's see if it actually works. Okay, Iceman is about to... <laughs> I think she's goose, we actually, go. Richard. We're ready for takeoff, ladies and gentlemen. First note. Oh, <laughs> Very solid. <laughs> we have to play a piece. <laughs> oh, this is great. Okay. All right. <laughs> Hang on. Ready? <laughs> I think it sounded better when it was just me, Richard. <laughs> I just I just suddenly got incredibly nervous about Richard's actual real violin, so can you just put that down? And can you just get that and get off stage? <laughs> Tell us about the real violin. Okay. The real violin was, um, is owned by anonymous benefactors. Some people like to remain anonymous, anonymous. Others like to have their anonymity celebrated. But um, in this case, they are wonderful, uh, maybe a wonderful person or people who decided to invest in a violin. And it was made in the year 1743, which is the year that Thomas Jefferson, the third president and the last good president of the, you know, of the United States of America was, was born. And incidentally, he also played the violin. He was a wine collector, he did pretty much everything. And, uh, and so it's made in Cremona, which is the heartland of violin makers. And of course, the most famous one uh, is Stradivarius. So, um, I wanted to um, say as well, in terms of you know people who are being incredibly generous and so on. Have a seat, Richard. Um, uh, we, we, Crab and I, don't believe in asking people to in the arts to do things for nothing or any line of work really, but particularly in the arts because people in the arts often get asked to do things for nothing. And so, of course, we offered to pay Richard and everybody tonight and they wanted to donate their fee and I just wondered if you wanted to tell everyone what you, you guys are donating to tonight. Yeah, so we're donating our fee to the Australian Chamber Orchestra. <laughs> okay. 
Do you know what? I actually... I would be very happy to no. see that money go to the ACA. I think it's incredibly generous given no, the period you guys have okay, had. Okay, so we're you. donating it to the United Nations Refugee Fund. And because... Uh, well, I mean, it's a teardrop in the ocean, of course. And um, a project I did a few years ago, which we're revisiting in August, and I, I hope that you'll be brave enough after tonight to um, consider buying a ticket. And what is it? And it's called The Crowd. And, of course, there is the notion of diaspora and movements of people around the globe, and it's just getting worse and worse and more heartbreaking, of course, as we see what's happening with the Ukraine. Um, and so that's where we're going to be, you know, donating our... And so I encourage everybody to go to the ACO because then you can deliver the money back to Richard that they're giving tonight. So that would be, because it is, um, in all seriousness, arts uh, organisations have done it so tough during COVID. Um, and so, you know, we do really support everything um, that you do. And we're so thrilled that you were able to come tonight. It was gorgeous. Richard thank Tonietti, you. thank you. Yes, please get that My off the stage. My first and only violin lesson. And I'm going to I move just, this to a safe I went spot to the top as well. Guy. Thank you. <laughs> How good was that? Um, wow. I know, amazing. <laughs> um, so, as you know, yes, Madonna. <laughs> What is going on with that undergarment? I just, I can't tear my eyes. I mean, it is magnificent, <laughs> and I feel I've dodged a bullet from not having to wear like. Ice cream cones on my boobs. Well, do you know what? Because, so the reason that we settled on that for you is because I just thought straight away you would look good in that era because your hair, much the same way that your hair dictated Brian May, it also dictated this look and I thought she'd look good. So then that left me with Conebra or Vogue era Madonna or, you know, certain other eras of Madonna like current Madonna that I didn't want to do. Um, I didn't fancy coming out on stage and lying spread-eagled half-naked on the ground. So, Not again. I mean, you've already done again. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, suit-wearing Madonna. That's your 7.30 look, really. <laughs> so, suit-wearing Madonna seemed like kind of the safest choice, but, you know, it's still Madonna, so you can't really... Unless you do early Madonna, you can't get away from, you know... Stuff. We haven't completely ruled out the possibility of wardrobe malfunction over the course of the evening. And I, for one, find that an energising prospect. Well, I... I don't know if anyone who was at one of our live shows saw it. It was the one with Pamela Rabe, where we kept calling her... Rabe! I actually bumped into her at the Logies the other night, and I'm still as terrified of Rabe as ever. I just... I saw it and I just went, Rabe! And then she went, oh, hello, Lee, how are you? And I... Legitimately frightening woman. Yeah, uh, she's unbelievably talented. Oh, she's just and actually amazing. a lovely, lovely person. But she it is. is not an option not to be frightened. But she's just her. one of those people who turns me into a blathering idiot. Chris, oh, and your I, biggest fan, Tom. Oh, I just yeah, I kept Chris everything and I were talking about this the other day about awkward social encounters, and because Chris had had one. <laughs> He did that thing where he waved at somebody and then they didn't see him and then he thought, oh, no, they have seen me. So then he waved again, but they still hadn't seen him. <laughs> and he 
Anyways, by the time I Please saw enjoy Chris's humiliation. By the uh, time. All 1,600 of you. By the time I bumped into Chris, he was, you know, you work yourself into a state where you're like, I just can't ever leave this room again in case I see that person that I've just waved at like a complete moron. Anyway, we got talking Those about... moments are a dime a dozen at the Logies, as I recall. Having they once are. gone when I was um, nominated as Best New Talent, I just turned 40 and I had like a six-week-old child. Oh. And I'm like... Really? Um, but I turned up and poor Jeremy had to be in the hotel room above the ceremony holding this screaming baby while I went up and down in the <laughs> elevators to feed said screaming baby whilst interstitially not winning Logies. And, um, <laughs> and when, when we turned up, there was like the red carpet for sort of famous people. And of course, I wasn't very famous, so I kind of, you know, got shoved by the ABC publicist into the sort of, you know... Perk and Preen Lane, and then like because they've got like a, a lineup of serial photographers that's you know from each agency or whatever. Like snap, 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 move on. But all of my all the photographers would be like, "No, it's all right, keep going." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to the end of it and went, "Wow." <laughs> I was going to say. Um Rabe, that show, I don't know if anyone actually noticed this. I noticed, I know that my friend Pam did, who was in the audience, she spotted it when I exited the stage. Different Pam, but equally frightening in some ways. <laughs> uh. um, the, it was the show where somebody had asked a question of us, which was, which five ABC personalities would you take if you were trapped in the jungle or something? And I ruled you out because I said your hair would get snagged in bushes. <laughs> Anyway, we got laughing so hard. As we were sitting here on these very couches, I could feel the zip on the back of my dress inching its way down. And the harder I laughed, the more I could feel it was just undoing and undoing. We were wearing those gowns. I had like a tight bodice and a big skirt. Sure. Yep. And I could feel that it was about halfway down my back by the time Rabe and... Uh, was it Marta who was here? No, it was... Um, Virginia Gay. Virginia Gay. And so... Gay! <laughs> When we did the bows, to get off stage, I was like inching sideways as long as possible and then had to turn and quickly. And Pam said to me later, your zip was undone on the back of your dress. And so I laughed it down because I was laughing God, so God, that's hard. funny because that, I remember that blue dress that I was wearing that very same night is the one that I wore to the ill-fated breastfeeding Logies. Well, there I you Because I like, was strapless so I could get my gear out really fast. <laughs> Hey, anyway. now, I know, um, just before we move off classical music, I know... Oh, are we going to move off classical music? <laughs> it was going really well. Didn't you hear me play the I, violin? I wanted to, because um, lots of people are watching via live stream tonight who aren't here, and including there could be some people watching in Brisbane, and we have a show in Brisbane in a few weeks. And so I wanted to give a shout-out in the audience to my friend Umberto Clarici, who until recently was the principal cellist for the Sydney Symphony, and he's just been recently appointed the chief conductor for the Queensland Symphony Orchestra, and he is hopeful going to be in our live show there and he's the most gorgeous player and he's also moved into conducting and I've got so many questions about conducting so if you'd like to music nerd out with me stand by for that please uh, you're also that hoping show. that he'll recreationally bully your youngest child into playing the cello exactly. I assume yes, yeah. okay. exactly That's while it, we're so. doing shout outs we should also mention that we do also have a um an organisation that part profits of this evening are donated to. It's the Sydney Story Factory. Uh, they help disadvantaged kids with literacy. That's always our partner charity in Sydney. Yes. So, now, and also, get... got to mention Gwen just in case we forget later, right? Oh, yes. Because, merch. you know, old Gwenny is out there with the merch. You would have seen it. 
dear God, and her talented son, Samson. I think he's wearing a T-shirt that says, I am Brenda. (laughs) Talented musical theatre, operative in his own right and just unquenchable Hamilton fan. I'll tell you how committed Gwenny is to merch. I popped in there this morning for a cup of tea and to drop off your jacket and she goes, look at this, look at this, look at my new device and it's the new, like, tappy thing. She's like, it's got pictures now. I can go tea towel, I can go bed pin, I can go da-da, I can go tally. She was very thrilled. Ladies, I'm a shop. I'm a shop now. And we're like, I'm just backing away She is a away post slowly. office, actually. She, has, she, she's, she operates as a post office. If you want to post a parcel, I'm not joking, you can go to Gwen's house and she, like, clocks it through for you. It's like magic. And she's, she's mad for it as well. Like, she's not even shy about it. Like, you're like, oh, God, I've got to go to the goddamn post office. She's like, I'm a post office. You should come over. <laughs> so, I mean, you should go over because she is a post office. But... Much friendlier. <laughs> and, um, and also, no one's ever sacked her for giving someone a $5,000 watch, as far as I know. I mean, that has never happened. Um, and the other fun thing about Gwen is that she's married to Stephen, who did that insane video. Like, True. he's also the photographer responsible for all the greatest shots of Lee Sales. <laughs> um, okay, now we keep getting off track from what I'm trying to do, which is to bring out our next act. Okay. So, oh I mean, God. and I use the word act loosely. I just hasten to add. Okay, so as you know, I've got quite eclectic taste in music and I've got quite eclectic taste in friends as well. So, I want to marry those two I cannot things. imagine what is about to happen. Like, I just... <laughs> It could gonna, go in about a besquillion different directions. I'm going to marry those two things together. So people who listen to the pod regularly might have heard me speak about Sam Mack, who is oh, no. the weatherman on Sunrise. Does everyone know who Sam Mack is? Yeah, okay. And you know I'm a big fan and he's a lovely, lovely bloke and he does a lot of generous things for people um, through his show. And then you probably haven't heard me talk about um, someone who I'm kind of less, less fond of, um, Dr Chris Brown. Um, <laughs> The, the, I mean, he that does. was him in the picture. He does so many things. He's well. You, some people would know him still as the Bondi vet, but he's on. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. He just won a Logie for that the other night. He does the living room. He just does all sorts of stuff. Anyway, he and Sam are particularly close friends. So just bank that information. You've probably heard of the group Def Leppard. <laughs> Chris and Sam. Not many people know this. They have a a, a group that they have, and it's called. Tone Deaf Leopard. (laughs) And so I'd like you to welcome to the stage Tone Deaf Leopard. (laughs) Why are you dressed as lobsters? Um, so, um, so about that, it's a very good question, Annabelle. Um, we've made a terrible mistake. Uh, yeah, this is, this is not good, Chris. Uh, we thought we were booked for Annabelle Crab's show, so... <laughs> and the worst part is, it's really difficult to get a crab costume in Sydney. So, slight rebrand, hope everyone's on board with it. Ladies and gentlemen, Annabelle Crayfish. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take a seat, guys. Thank you. Oh, it's um, a little tight. <laughs> I, I think I may be about to molt. So. <laughs> We've been talking about wardrobe malfunctions, mm. so um, let's hope for the best. Thank you. Now, funnily enough that you should both come out, because we were just talking about the Logies, mm. and I saw you both on the weekend. In fact, I met you for the first time at a Logies. Mm. But um, so 
Picture this, everybody. So everyone's been at the Logies on Sunday night. Monday morning, um, for the professionals, you know, there's often an early call time. So I've had a 6.30am call time to go and get makeup because I was appearing on the Today Show. I then had some commercial radio commitments. I bumped into Chris, who was meeting sure. his commercial radio commitments. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I'm driving back to my hotel to pick up my gear to go to the airport... I see this man doing the walk of shame down one of the boulevards in Surface Paradise and I have a, it's a guy with his like tucks hanging off and he looks like half dead and I look out the car window and... Is it Carl? It's Sam Mack. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What was going on? I'd love to say that this is a fictional story, but no, this actually (laughs) happened. Um, I had just actually, I mean, you called it the walk of shame, is that right? I did. I prefer walk of glory because um, I just nailed seven amazing live weather crosses on sunrise. You're welcome. Thanks for watching, Lee. Um, But it was quite strange. You know what? It felt like, obviously, we've known each other for a few years and um, it felt like mum had caught me trying to sneak home. And I mean that, like, hot mum, obviously. (laughs) Good save. But mum nonetheless. (laughs) So, but you, I presume you had actually been doing Sunrise, had you? Uh, yes. Had you gone the whole way through? Uh, absolutely. Oh. Well, no, I had an hour and a half sleep. Um, oh. just to, and then, of I mean, course, how do you do that? Not very well, if you watch oh. the show. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just battle through, right? <laughs> what about, did you go the whole night through as well? Uh, yeah, I think I wrapped up about three oh. uh, up at... What, what, we saw each other at radio at about sort of 6.30, 7 yeah. o'clock, so oh. I reckon you might be underplaying your, the, the scale of your nightly sales just quietly. <laughs> Do you know the thing that was funny going on today's show? I was looking at Carl and I was thinking, it's kind of tragic for Carl because unless he shows up completely rat-assed mm. and loose, everyone's kind of let down. Yeah. <laughs> Where does he go from here? He doesn't... You can't go anywhere. If he just does the responsible thing, as a father of a one-year-old should do and just goes home and has an early night, we're all like, oh, well, that's a letdown, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Annabelle's not saying much. Are you not approving of the guest selection by Lee? Is that what's happening? No, I'm just... I'm just... To be honest, I mean, if, if I'm going to be frank about it, I'm just... I'm startled by how quickly we've relaxed into mm. loose conversation about the Logies and yeah. how quickly we've moved past the fact that you people are wearing polyester crayfish outfits. Have you? I just like, I don't know, as an ex- exoskeletal person all my life, mm. maybe I just feel like we need to honour that a bit yeah. more. Uh, I feel like, I feel like if, if we're going to have a legacy, it's for doing visual gags on podcasts. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's a good... <laughs> it's edgy. It's... <laughs> <laughs> now, now, how was your Logies experience, Chris? Uh, look, we, you know, we've, we've been to a couple. Uh, it was look, it was it was mixed, probably to, to say the least. I um, the night started off in a very very strange way for me. What happened? Well, we, we, the red carpet takes forever, right? Um, yeah, that's because people are actually taking your photo. <laughs> I find that if you get the whole no 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 keep moving, it's amazing how quickly you can get through that shit. To be fair, they, they do take photos of me, but it's to test their lighting, just to make sure. Yep, yep, we're good. Go through. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, you do a great job on the Today the, Show. The white Terrific. balance. Yeah. Um, so, I, look, it, it, it was taking a while, and, and it, it started off very strangely because I, I... About halfway along, uh, a, a couple of people from, from Channel 7 came up to me and said, um, Chris, uh, thank you uh, for the photo. And I was like, great. I didn't remember taking a photo with you, but, but great. Then, then a couple of minutes later, some people from Channel 9 said, um, looking good, thanks for the photo. And I was like, I, 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 I don't know what you mean, but, but sure. 
And then we're about to finish the red carpet and Costa comes up to me with a... Shout out to Costa. Yeah. Greatest man alive. With a a little bit of a swagger and he said, with a wink, I love the photo. (laughs) And I said, you're going to need to explain what's happened, Costa, because I have no idea what's going on tonight. And he said, a phone called Dr Chris Brown, open brackets, Bondi vet, close brackets, just airdropped me... (laughs) This photo... <laughs> I, I don't know how many people from across the networks were airdropped a, that photo on Sunday night. And to anyone listening who received that photo, I want to humbly apologise. I've since worked out who it was. They, you can change your phone name. They change their, It's the greatest gag of all time. Change your phone name to someone else and send them photos. I feel like we have to commend Chris for his commitment to that elaborate fake story as an excuse to show that photo yet again, a visual reference on a podcast. Yeah. Great photo, though. Um, needs a cavoodle or something. I think... Yeah. I mean, can we take it down we now? We can move Seriously. along from that photo, I think. <laughs> yeah. We've seen it. And focus on these ankles, which are really doing the heavy lifting now. And they're certainly plentifully visible due to the <laughs> skimpy sizing of your uh, crayfish outfit. <laughs> so, I don't know about you guys, but one of the things that always surprises me a bit at the Logies, because you don't often mix with people from kind of other networks, and it's one of the few occasions where you do. And it can be very surprising who kind of outs themselves as being a, a fan or who knows who you are. So, I, the strangest thing happened to me this time. Well, last time, I think I might have even told this story in the pod, not last time, but a few times ago, I was on the way to the girls' toilets. One of her thousands of Lugie stories. <laughs> so, and, and I got stopped <laughs> by we- Australian actor Gary Sweet. And Sweetie said, um, oh, my God, Lee Sales, I'm your biggest fan. Can I have a photo? Like, it was really... And I was like, wow, I can't even believe Gary Sweet knows who I am. It was so weird. And then this time, I'm standing there... Georgie Parker, Australian television royalty, comes up, she goes, oh, excuse me, Um, James is a big fan. She points to James Stewart, who's like a home and away actor, very big, I think he's like a silver logie, multiple winner, like super popular. He's amazing in rear window. Super popular. He'd be be a teen heartthrob if he wasn't about 45. Exactly, he's like super popular. She goes, he is your biggest fan. He's, he just, would it be all right if he had a photo? Like, he was clearly too shy to ask, so I was like, oh, sure. Anyway, at the end, I was like, mate, I just, <laughs> you even know who I am. And he was like, well, we were raised right, our family was raised to watch 7.30. I was like, okay. <laughs> but is that, does that happen to you? No, not like that. <laughs> um, Sam? I, have you tried um, um, dressing I mean, as a different amphibian? <laughs> <laughs> I, I shared a golf buggy with Reggie from Big Brother. I don't know if that's <laughs> of any interest in terms of my celebrity anecdotes. It is strange, though, and um, a lot of people might know when you watch it on TV, if you go to, you know, go to the bathroom um, during an ad break, you literally have shot clock. You have three minutes to get back in. If you're not back in, you're locked out at the Logies. They have to get seat fillers in, and you miss the entire segment, which is really bad if you're nominated in that segment. <laughs> Thankfully, I don't have to worry about that very often. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I had a moment where a lady said to me the other night as I was going out to the bathroom, oh, Mr. Mac, great to see you. And because it was so dark, we were like, oh, I, I genuinely didn't know who it was. 
by the time they opened the doors, it was too late, but I realised it was Sandra Sully. Oh, oh sweet Sandra. Australia's sweetheart. You Sorry, ladies. Sandra uh, Sully? Australia's sweetheart. I barred, oh, yeah, I, uh, I snubbed Sandra Sully. Uh, what a low point. Like, if, if I do get that, what you're talking about there, um, people bailing me up to, to talk to me, um, it's usually just for free vet advice. <laughs> uh, we, we, I, but I have had some good Logies. Well, actually, I have had a very good Logies ones. A former gold Logie winner just a couple of years ago <laughs> asked me if it was okay, he'd already done it, um, to, to put uh, frontline, a, tick, a, tick, a dog tick treatment on his kids for head lice. <laughs> Nothing else had worked. Uh, And turns out, I mean, you know, this podcast is all about handy handy life tips. It works. And doesn't doesn't Waleed get pretty crazy? (laughs) This is uh, not a sanctioned piece of advice, obviously. We we do not approve. Like, I'm obviously enjoying all of your tales of, of, of Gold Coast celebrity recognition. I, I, I mean, I have only scraps myself to contribute to this exchange because um, I declined to go to the Logies this year because I felt that it was a human torture to which I was not able to submit myself. Hang on, hang time. on. And this is not? At this time. No, this is fine. You're couple, sitting next sitting to two men in crayfish outfits. Sitting around a couple of guys in like faux velour crayfish outfits. It's totally, it's a standard Friday night out in my hood. But like the Logies, anyway, no, it's just, it's basically because I just don't have any, my maintenance up to date. You know, I just need hair oh. done, like you know, fingernails, all that sort of, you know, you feel grubby. If you show up to one of those things and everyone's I do, all I do honestly snappy. think you guys wouldn't be familiar with this, but as an ABC person, you do tend to feel like the uncool kid at the cool kids party. One hundred percent. Yeah, you do. Well, you well, do. You're the person who's shopped at the op shop. Yep. If you, if you, um, if you, not that there is anything wrong with that. Annabelle, um, it'd be our honour if you if you were to accompany us to the Logies next year, and then you can announce on the red carpet that you officially have crabs. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would love that, and uh, I would be proud to declare you know, that. that that's the personal maintenance you were talking about, wasn't <laughs> sure. it? Just, I mean, it's my job to demystify these things. Um, we had a very... But I did go on a family holiday to the Gold Coast not long ago. I was tricked into it by my partner, the beloved Jeremy, who's also the accidental impresario behind this whole production. <laughs> Bless him. But he did wait for me to be busy on other things and then he booked a trip to the Gold Coast for us as a family and uh, I had no option but to attend. Um, <laughs> and um, we stayed in this sort of high-rise apartment thing and I was in the lift one day and the good thing about the Gold Coast is you just don't really get recognised that much, which is fantastic because <laughs> um, everyone's busy with their own lives. Um, but this, I was in the lift. Isn't she so relatable? Oh. And this, <laughs> and this old guy, like lovely old fella, he's looking at me up and down in the lift, and I'm thinking, here we go, and he's like shuffling closer for a bit of a like a, mm, yeah, it's right up in the grill. And I've got that feeling, you know, you get that where you're like, this guy's trying to work out whether you know he knows me from somewhere or. Maybe we just go to the same gynecologist. I don't know. Um, and he comes right up in my grill and he goes, I know you. You're on the television. And I said, oh, you know, sometimes. And he said, no, oh, don't tell me. Hang on a minute. And he's come up for another look and he goes, got it. You're Maggie Beer. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> and my kids are like, <laughs> and I'm like, that's right, sir. It's an honour to meet you. <laughs> we had a Please stand by for my poached quince recipe. <laughs> we had a funny thing with my eight-year-old. One night I was texting Sam and Chris and my eight-year-old was sitting next to me in bed and he said, who are you texting? And I said, Sam Mack and Chris Brown. And he said, who's Chris Brown? And I That's texted tough. that into the group and Sam so wittily and instantly replied... He's got a career on editorial at New Idea if you can just follow that sentence up with dating. <laughs> That's true. I mean, the wrong photo right now, we would, I mean, next week oh, we can already see it. We'll just never be able to get rid of it. That's true. Um, Don't you just look at Chris and go, how is he single? Like, surely right now that's what we're all thinking, right? That's just what everyone was then. thinking when they got that photo at the Logies and they've all been in touch ever since. <laughs> Um, now, I, I should point out that, I, I mean, I don't want to make things awkward, but mm. I, I did actually introduce you guys as a musical act, Tone Deaf Leopard, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. That, so, that is, so, uh, that is true, Lee, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like you're ignoring <laughs> the, uh, the elephant in the room here. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation around what 2023 holds for Lee Sales, am oh. I right? <laughs> It's the question on everybody's lips, absolutely. And, and as per agreement, Lee, um, you wanted us to answer that in song. Yeah, and what? I'm sorry, Lee, but I don't feel comfortable doing the whole showbiz thing where we pretend you haven't commissioned us to write a song about what you're doing next. Yeah. It's, it's just not how I roll. No. So, Chris, Consider that fourth wall perforated. Ouch. <laughs> Yeah, so um, if it's all right, it's clearly all right with you because you asked, but Annabelle, um, as a member of the Crustacean family, uh, would you be okay if we answered the big question on everyone's lips in song live for you guys right now? I would be absolutely thrilled for you to do that. Can we, can we promise that it stays in the room, though? Can everyone promise? Like, yeah. no phones. Um, we can't have this getting out of the Enmore Theatre. We can't have this bumping Lisa Wilkinson off the front page. <laughs> um, this, this stays in-house, yeah? I think so. Do you guys want to talk amongst yourselves? Are you comfortable? Yes, oh, yeah, you host the podcast you, just for you... about 30 seconds. Do you know, let me fill you in while they're there. Chris actually has given me my all-time ever favourite nickname. As everyone who listens to the podcast knows, I'm obsessed by spy dramas. I have a secret fantasy to be a spy. Chris coined the nickname. Sorry, he's just rolling his pincers back. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen anything more rock and roll than a guy rolling his pincers up? <laughs> Chris, would you like to share your very clever nickname for me? While you're... I, um, I call Lee... Uh, look, the thing about Lee is you look at her and you know, it, she comes in under the radar as this journalist, in inverted commas, but the journalism gives her access to all areas. You know, she's, she's interviewing... James Comey, the director of the FBI one week, the head of ASIO the next, Prime Minister the week after that. But my belief is it is all a facade. Uh, and Lee has a second career, uh, which renders her the nickname 00730. That's good. That's good. There's a spin-off. Been saying this for years. Anytime he calls me salesy, I'm like, I don't want you to call me that. I want you to call me 00730. She is, she is a spy, um, but uh, 
some secrets can't stay secret forever, <laughs> um, as you're about to... Uh, as you're about to realise. I feel like this is a really big build-up for, for not, not much. I feel like I'm so sorry in advance. Um, I feel like this is a lot of sizzle, no sausage. <laughs> yeah, the sausage is gone. Um. Okay. okay. So the question is, what will the sales be doing next? And uh, We're about to reveal that for you right now. One. No recording devices, please. One, two... One, two, three, four. Into the jungle, the celebrity jungle, Lee Sales sleeps tonight. Into the jungle, the celebrity jungle, Lee Sales sleeps tonight. Lee, she's on her way. Dirty. There's many options to choose. She's leaving 7:30. Her fans are dirty, but at least it's not to Sky News. A she's on her way. Everybody now, join in. A she's on her way. Only 14 minutes left in the song. A I think they're fading our mics down. She's on her way. Good luck in the jungle, Lee. Woo! Give it up for Tone Deaf Leopard. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Before you guys walk away from the mic, I just wanted to also say um, these two absolutely gorgeous and lovely uh, guys also right from the start said we just want to come along and we would like you to donate our fee as well so I just wondered if you could please each say what what you want your fee donated to Uh, into the mic please thanks Chris yeah show business Um, to the uh, Animal Welfare League of New South Wales is where I'd like to I I adopted a dog Um, proudly as a vet I have the most dysfunctional dog in Sydney Um, so he's from there and, and they do a great job uh, unlike the gentleman to my left, I do a lot for animals. Um, <laughs> so my charity is Sydney Dogs and Cats Home. I've been an ambassador or a stambassador, a hashtag that hasn't caught on, um, for about a decade now. Um, I sadly lost my beautiful cat Coco of 14 years only a couple of months ago. It was traumatic. I just brought the mood down. I'm so sorry. But I feel like this is a safe space and we're all animal lovers. And um, in her honour, we raised $35,000 and it was the most beautiful thing to go through that, but then to feel the love for animal rescue. So I'm a huge supporter of Sydney Dogs and Cats Home. Thank you. Please thank Sam Mack, Dr. Chris Brown. And those outfits will be recycled into uh, school lunch boxes, uh, as I understand it. <laughs> They're lovely guys. They're both very, very funny. Do you know, when we do these shows and the guests leave the stage, it reminds me of, like, even though there's still, you know, 1,600 people in the room, I feel like we're just at home and the guests left and we can go, oh, just kick off my shoes now. <laughs> just relax. Here we are, just two friends dressed as Madonna from different eras. Having a relaxing night in after the guys who are l- dressed as lobsters left. <laughs> Look, it is. It is. A, it's a classic 
Ordinary night in. I agree. <laughs> okay, so I've got a few things to talk to you about. Since we last did a pod, I have done a um, in-conversation kind of thing like this with Aaron Sorkin. Okay, the right. So I've never asked you one thing, woman to woman, about this because I knew that we would discuss it for the benefit of at least 1,500 other people live. Um, so can you spill the tea, please? Okay. So... Um, the first thing, it was, which was really funny, was I was in the dressing room next to him and I arrived first and I was sitting in mine quiet as a mouse and then he and his PA arrived and when they were put into their room and the person, you know, showed them, oh, here's your room, but I'll leave you alone, I realised the walls were literally like tissue paper. I could hear Fantastic. every word, every sniffle and it was, it, it was excruciating because I was thinking, oh, God, what are they going to say? Did you do a few loud coughs and nose blows just I, to I, let them know I, the situation? I didn't know what what to do so anyway then someone came and knocked on my door and said would you like to come next door and I thought oh surely that they will have heard that so they'll now realize I'm right next door so I went in and had made some small talk and you know build a bit of rapport and then rapport building rapport building and then came out went back into my dressing room and I was just terrified I was going to overhear them going oh she's tedious isn't she anyway, <laughs> thank god why was she dressed as Madonna <laughs> <laughs> anyway so that was one thing he was absolutely charming, you know, as you expect and anticipate those kind of people would be. I'll come back to a very key part of the chat in a sec, but one of the things that was really interesting that I wanted to ask you about was, again, if you listen to these episodes of the podcast where I talked about West Wing, I've not watched the whole of West Wing, and so I did some prep. Um, she does that thing where she talks about stuff that she has not seen. <laughs> yeah. And Happens so I, from time to time. I thought I'd better do a bit of prep, so I watched season one of West Wing, a little bit of season two, and then I looked at The Guardian for the best ever West Wing episodes, and I watched those, and that was the prep that I had done. And then Aaron Sorkin, in the Q&A, he was asked two questions that as someone who hadn't really been familiar with West Wing, I wasn't able to really get what he was saying. So I thought you might be able to enlighten me. One question was about somebody got up and said, you um, are kind of criticised for writing weak female characters and, you know, how do you... And how did he take that? He was defensive, I thought. Um, yeah, he tried, don't say. He tried to not... He tried to not be, but he really struggled to answer it. And so I, I didn't know that this was a thing, but so is this a thing? Yes, I think so. Um, and look, I mean, as a person who fell in love massively with West Wing very early on, even the first season, which is probably the weakest season, and, it, and as you've observed, it kind of righted itself super quickly and then ploughed on to, you know, some great, great television. But... I do think that the male characters tend to be a bit more complex. The women characters tend to be a bit more one-dimensional. And like C.J. Craig, who is, you know, probably the most regularly cited great female character, is sort of a dude who's a lady. Yeah. Right. And then the other question that he was defensive about was um, somebody asked about the 9-11 episode that they did after 9-11 occurred. And again, I couldn't really follow the answer having never seen the episode, but he said something about we had to make an episode that was deliberately bad. That was the thesis of his answer. I accept it was a bad episode. It had to be deliberately bad. And the kind of... I couldn't quite follow what the rationale was 
before that. And then he said we had to make one bad episode and then kind of move on. And he, he, I mean, I, I got that it was complex because this real-world event happened and everyone in the show, it's hard for them to go on, kind of like COVID at the moment where shows are grappling with, well, do you mention it, do you not mention it? But have you seen... I, I mean, I hadn't seen it, so had you seen that episode? Weirdly, I have quite recently because I've been... Actually, when you started watching The West Wing in order to just achieve some basic nodding acquaintance with the material before you interviewed its creator on stage in front of hundreds of people, I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind, you know, watching again. And I actually started from the first series because I was interested in what you said about the first series being a bit bodgy and then sort of um, levelling out, which I think is a correct analysis. But um, I did also get to that 9-11 episode and, I, I mean, I remember... The second 9-11 happened, I was watching a West Wing episode in my apartment in Kingston and it was actually weirdly an episode where a terrorist event happened and then it kind of, there was a, um, a crash in of a news bulletin of, you know, planes flying into the towers and actually a bunch of my colleagues were in Washington at the time with John Howard and so it was just this sort of scary instant kind of strange situation that wasn't immediately pigeonholable. But the episode dealing with 9-11 that then bowled up on West Wing was, it was kind of a, it was an underwhelming episode. So what happens in the app is that um, a, a school group comes and visits the West Wing and there's this sort of um, terrorist event alert and they all end up in lockdown in the kitchen, sort of like underground. And it ends up with being Toby and Josh and um, uh, who's the character played by? Um, Leo? Rob. Um, oh, um, Lowe. Sam Seaborn. Yeah, Sam, Sam Seaborn. Um, kind of having these hokey discussions with kids about, you know, terrorism and, you know, the clash of cultures oh. and stuff. Oh. So it's just a bit like... Bit clunky. Yeah, but I mean, it's not terrible. But then there is actually a bit of a terrible bit where there's a scene where um, an employee of the West Wing who is like Middle Eastern gets hauled in and cross-examined about his... I don't know. It's just a bit... Ugh, uh, I don't know. Okay. But I think, you know, when terrible things like that happen, it's actually a really awkward thing for the, the television industry to kind of cope with. Remember when... 9-11 happened and a, like a bunch of those late night talk shows just went dark for a little bit no. and then yeah sorry well, I, mean, I just can't I mean it was that a long did time. It was 22 years ago that did happen. Years ago. it did happen and they weren't sure how to come back out of the box right because you can't really tell jokes straight away about something so visceral that's happened to this city you know like such a hideous wound right and so there's this sense that you've just got to get the first show out and get past it and you just don't expect it to be great. And I think that that's, it might have been what he, he was kind of saying in his response to you. I remember doing an interview with Greg Fleet, the comedian, actually in the aftermath of 9-11, not straight away, you know, we're talking a month or so later, and we were talking about this exact question about when is it okay to make jokes about a tragedy like that? And he said he thought comedians professional comedians have a really high and hardened bar. And so he said, for example, he could he was on the day, already could think of material straight away, but he said the difference is you'd never, ever publicly 
air it because he said obviously an audience has a different bar and the analogy he used was um, a professional hardened comedian you know an audience might laugh at a story about an old woman being pushed down the stairs the comedian would actually need to see the old woman pushed down the stairs <laughs> like he just talked about like the, the kind of way you process material and then turn it into something you know entertaining um, but yeah the point the key point was that the judgment it's the judgment about when it's appropriate and when people can actually laugh at something and also what you might choose in an event that is the you know source of comedy so I was in the US after 9-11 and I remember like episodes of um, Saturday Night Live where Robert De Niro would host and they would start making gags around things like say the Department of Homeland Security but not you know directly about the events of 9-11 it's really very tricky terrain um but the um the other thing I think you're going to ask about... Oh, my God. I was going to say, yeah. okay, now we've got out of the way talking about, yeah, what about the 9-11 episode and, you know, writing female characters. What I mainly want to know about is the girlfriend. Yes. So, I don't know am how I many... Am I alone? I'm not alone, am I? <laughs> I don't know how many people are familiar with this, this story. My phone pinged red hot the next day with text messages from people wanting to know what happened. So... When Aaron Sorkin walked out on stage, I'd seen him backstage and he had this piece of paper and he was pacing and he was looking at it and he came out on stage and, you know, I said whatever banter I said and then he said, before I answer that, can I just tell you something? I just got handed a note backstage that was left at stage door and it's from a woman named Gillian. In my 20s in New York, I dated an Australian woman named Gillian and... She is here in the audience tonight and left a note for me at stage door. And the crowd went absolutely nuts. It was a really um, very, you know, hardened fan crowd for Aaron Sorkin. Everyone went nuts. And so I said, oh, house lights, like, you know, Gillian, where are you? And she was right up at the top, you know, at the back. So he and I couldn't see her or hear her. Anyway, um, he, because he's obviously he's a master storyteller and he had a great sense that that was a good story to tell out of the box. Um, and he kept kind of looping back to it throughout the night. And then in the Q&A, um, I said, well, let's make sure if Gillian would like to ask a question, you know, we get a mic up there. And then she, we got to her, no one could see her, and she said, he'd told about that they dated, but she'd, she'd broken his heart, she'd come back to Australia, and that was the end of it and all the rest of it. And then the start of her question was, how important was it? And then the whole room just erupted with laughter because they took her to be saying how important was our relationship, but she didn't actually get through the entire question. Anyway, um, at the end of the show, we went backstage and, you know, Aaron and I had some photos of various people and then I, you know, as is my want, shoofed out of there as fast as Ghosted, possible. Ghosted, leaving your pashmina <laughs> on the uh, chair. I couldn't possibly join you for a drink, Aaron. It's past my bedtime. Um, and so the next day, my phone just pinged hot because people wanted to know... Did Aaron actually get to meet up with Gillian after the show? Being a journalist, I then tracked down Gillian. What? And she agreed to do an interview with me, which I've got to air to, for tonight's show. Now, we had some audio problems before, so I'm not 100% sure if it works. This is going to be the worst build-up ever if it doesn't work. But let's see if we can... And, oh, sorry, can I just, I just need to say one thing before we roll it, um, as by way of a little bit of um, backstory... The audio is kind of a bit ordinary because I used, did it on my computer at home and my, audio, my questions are pretty bad, but you hopefully can hear her. And um, she was attending the show with her husband, Michael, of 34 years. Um, so let's, let's have a look. Hi, 
Gillian, it's very nice to meet you and you're a very good sport to have a chat to me about this. It's lovely to meet you, Lee, and it was just such a fun night and um, completely unexpected and um, it was one of those things that you think, well, goodness me, life can surprise you. <laughs> so how did you meet Aaron Sorkin? Um, I met Aaron on a fairly sort of interesting night. It was the okay, night just that bear with In me. Excess played at Radio um, uh, City um, and a lot of Australians were gathering at the then very new Hard Rock Cafe. And um, I was a late arrival. I didn't go to the concert. Don't think I could afford the ticket. Um, but I met some friends and um, we were all having a bit of a rowdy time as, you know, Australians can tend to do sometimes. And Aaron was there in the front area with a couple of his friends and it was the proverbial kind of across a crowded room but, um, you know, we were sort of in a, in a, in a sectioned-off area and finally he, he walked up to me and, and um, he said, um, what do I have to do to get you to give me that shirt that you're wearing? And uh, you might remember the, the um, Australian designer, Prue Acton, yeah. who used to do brilliant sort of shirts and things. I was wearing, proudly wearing a Prue Acton shirt that had a tiger sort of face on the back of it. And, and I, said, I think I turned around and I said, well, what can you do? <laughs> and he then proceeded to tell me all of these marvellous things he could do. And we just laughed and, you know, he understood that I was from Australia and loved my accent and... Um, we just really got talking and it was just a crazy night and uh, at the end of it he asked for my phone number and uh, you know we'd all had quite a bit to drink and so we we're all a bit fuzzy but I did give him my number and um, I think he called me uh, almost immediately that I got home and so then we spoke on the time on the phone for quite some time and um, and then he invited me uh, to meet him for a drink at a little sort of place that was very close to the theatre district. And, um, and I don't think I could do it, so he kept calling for a bit. And then finally I did go and meet him and um, we just had a wonderful connection. We both loved theatre and he was in the middle of... He'd just started writing uh, a play called Removing All Doubt, which was actually his very first play. And did so you know, that was... Yeah. Period when you were dating him, was there any inkling that he was going to end up as one of the most successful screenwriters in the world? Now, this is, I think, actually the video froze and I didn't edit it because it's chat 10. Sorry, it just froze. Let me just ask that question again. Um, when you were dating just, him, was I'm there asking, any you know, did you have any inkling he was going to be a big superstar? Screenwriters in the world? Um, there were many inklings. Uh, all of Aaron's friends expected great things from him. Uh, he commanded incredible sort of respect from, you know, the, the coterie of friends that were around him. They were all newly sort of graduated. Um, but Aaron won the Eugene O'Neill Young Playwrights Award when he was barely 22, and that was with uh, the play Removing All Doubt. And in that play, I'm referred to as the very opinionated um, Australian <laughs> But you know, to this day, I can't really understand why he referred to me that way. But I guess, you know, Australians, we're renowned for being sort of, you know, fairly outspoken. And I was sort of a, um, a, a happy to sort of critique, 
you know, some of the things that he was wrestling with with characters. He would have play readings and, you know, immediately his tiny apartment would be filled with people and, you know, they'd all be fleshing out the characters and Aaron would sort of preside over the whole thing. But um, And often uh, extraordinary people turned up to those play readings. So, yes, there were a lot of inklings. But my question at the end of the night that you very graciously asked me to... Um, did I have... My question was, how important was it that you won the Eugene O'Neill Young Playwrights Award at the age of 22? Well, it, was, it was funny, <laughs> that's right, because I think the room, when you said how I said the room was didn't it, hear, they thought you meant your relationship. I think that they thought you meant, you know, how important was our relationship in the overall scheme of your life? <laughs> Yes, well, actually, there's a lot threaded into that, you know, because my time with him was certainly when, you know, he was the struggling playwright. And, um, you know, when he won the Eugene O'Neill Young Playwrights Award, a lot of things changed. And, you know, he was able to take me out to dinner, <laughs> which was fabulous. <laughs> so many people texted me to ask if after you left the note for him backstage, which he then read out on stage. People wanted to know, did you actually get to meet back uh, in person backstage after the event? Well, um, Michael and I were sort of leaving the theatre and a young man, he came up and he ushered us around to the stage door. And uh, he said, look, um, Aaron is has to do some meet and greets, um, but could you wait? And um, we did, I, I went, you know, he went in through the stage door and I went to follow him and uh, the, the person there just said, oh, no, look, would you mind waiting out in the lane? And uh, I think you probably remember it was an incredibly cold night. And we waited for a couple of minutes and then I looked at my beautiful husband and I said, well, let's just go home. I'm going home with the love of my life and I've had a wonderful night and, um, you know, let's just go home and get into some warmth. Oh, um, that's, so. <laughs> that's a beautiful end to the story. Thank you very much, Gillian, for making the time to talk. <laughs> yeah, lovely to be able to provide you with, with that, Lee, and um, thank you for helping to make it don't, such a magical night. It was absolutely wonderful. Don't you think that was the most gorgeous end to the story, that she just looked at the love of her life and went, let's just go home? <laughs> it was so nice and unbelievable recovery by the AV guys to fast forward that to then re-sync it. I don't know how you did that. I was thinking of singing in the rain the entire time. Yes, yes, yes. No, and, no. And I understand you work in television, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> it's what producers are for. <laughs> this is what happens when you're allowed out on your own to freelance. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, we went to see, well, we didn't see the entire thing, but the Elvis film the other day. Yes. Uh, so I just filed my last post-election piece and I had been like, you know, over the election campaign, which of course ran for six weeks, I was also shooting a new series of Back in Time for Dinner over exactly the same six weeks because that is how planning works in the television industry. Uh, so that was marvellous and very convenient and restful, as you can imagine. So we got to the end of the campaign and then there was a change of government. Oh, more work and, you know, things to be written and said. Um, and I just filed my last piece and Sales said, I'm going to go and see um, a screener of Elvis because I'm interviewing Tom Hanks. Clang! And um, so I said, oh, I'll come with you because, God, I just want to watch a movie. That'll be fun and relaxing. 
And it really wasn't. <laughs> because it's very frenetically edited, you know, as if you're a Baz Luhrmann fan, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's very fast-paced and there's a lot of colour and movement in every shot and the edit's really quick. And so it's kind of an assault on your senses. Yet again, I think it shows Catherine Martin to be an absolute genius. And, and the Elvis era lends itself really well. For the costumes and design or All for living with Baz? All <laughs> Because I was a bit like, oh, it would not be restful to be married to you, I think. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think it'd be a restful time. But um, I, the other thing I just wanted to talk about before we finish is a book called No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. Has anyone here read it? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's one of those books I feel like I kind of need to go from the start again straight away because it was so rich that you kind of need to really process it. So it's about basically becoming obsessed with... She calls it the portal, but it's really Twitter um, and the kind of, you know, fast-rushing world that exists on social media and the things that people on social media get obsessed by and so on. But then the back half of the book is about a real-life event that occurs that kind of wrenches her out of the portal and throws her very sharply into reality and then how the portal looks when she's been in reality. And I just... There was a couple of bits I wanted to read aloud to you because I thought they gave a good taste of what the book's like. Um, I thought you'd texted most of this book to me already. Yeah, I think I did. There's been a few screenshots appearing. All lovely and very welcome. Um, Yeah. But you have isolated some bits that you haven't already sent me. Well, there's 1,600 people in the room other than you, so, you know, I thought they might like to hear it. Um, so, this is from the first half, which gives you a sense of, you know, her take on, on what Twitter is like. Um, Every day, their attention must turn, like the shine on a school of fish, all at once, toward a new person to hate. Sometimes the subject was a war criminal, but other times it was someone who'd made a heinous substitution in guacamole. It was not so much the hatred she was interested in as the swift attenuation, as if their collective blood had made a decision, as if they were a species that released puffs of poison or black ink in a cloud on the ocean floor. Very good writing. And then another thing that kind of captures, I thought, um, Twitter absolutely perfectly. On a slow news day, we hung suspended from meat hooks dangling over the abyss. On a fast news day, it was like we had swallowed all of NASCAR and were about to crash into the wall. Either way, it felt like something a dude named Randy was in charge of. (laughs) (laughs) And then just to give the contrast of like just the kind of strange unreality of that world as anyone who's on social media with any degree of regularity knows. And then the sharpness of reality in real life and and what it's like... um, In the back part of the book, without giving a spoiler, um, there's a person who has not lived a very long life um, and they're not going to. And she, the narrator, is really cut up about this. And so there's this um, section. The things she wanted them to know seemed small, so small. How it felt to go to a grocery store on vacation. To wake at 3am and run your whole life through your fingertips. First library card, new lipstick, a toe going numb for two months because you wore borrowed shoes to a friend's wedding. Thursday, October, she's like the wind in a dentist's office. Driver's licence picture where you look like a killer. Getting your bathing suit back on after you go to the bathroom. 
touching a symbol for sound and then touching it again for silence, playing house in a refrigerator box, letting a match burn down to the fingerprints, one hand in the Scrabble bag and then I-I-O-U-E-A, <laughs> hamburger wrappers on a road trip, the twist of a heavy red apple in an orchard, word on the tip of the tongue, the portal, but just for a minute. It was so profound and it was so amazing to just think about the very basic things in real life that bring us happiness, like all getting together, like making your bestie dress up as Madonna. Thank you for coming to spend tonight with us. It's been our privilege. Thank you very much. And if any of our buddies in the wings, can they come and join us? Thank you.